Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 533 of the Juicebox podcast. Sometimes I like to flip the coin over and look at the other side. We're doing that today. We've had plenty of people on who have been misdiagnosed as having type 2 diabetes when they're young. But have you ever talked to somebody who was correctly diagnosed with type 2 in their teens? Uh, you're about to, because Haley is here, and she is super awesome. Really great conversation, slightly different perspective, and yet wonderful information for you. Please remember while you're listening that nothing you hear on the Juice Box podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise. Always consult a physician before making any changes to your healthcare plan or becoming bold with insulin. Haley is an insulin-dependent type 2 diabetic, and she's only 24 years old. I think you're going to really enjoy this. So settle in wherever you are, unless you're driving. If you're driving, please stay focused. And, um, and I, I guess if you're doing the dishes too, don't reach in and grab something sharp in the soapy water. That would also be bad. Anyway, let's get started, shall we? This episode of the Juice Box Podcast is sponsored by the Dexcom G6 Continuous Glucose Monitor and the Omnipod Tubeless Insulin Pump. You know, both of those things have something in common. You can use them if you're using insulin. You don't have to be just type 1. Type 2s can benefit from this stuff just as much. Anyway, I'll tell you more about it later, but for now, you can learn more at Dexcom.com forward slash juicebox and find out about that Omnipod and the Omnipod promise at Omnipod.com forward slash juicebox. Links in the show notes, links at juiceboxpodcast.com. Here comes Haley. My name is Haley. I live in North Carolina, and I've been a type 2 diabetic since I was 16 years old, and I'm 24 now, so I'm looking at about seven and a half years. Wow. Okay. Haley, thank you. Um, it is not easy to get type 2s to come on the show, so I appreciate you doing it. I have long thought that this podcast could be helpful to type 2 diabetics, and I'm, you are my first step in trying to make that come true for people. So no pressure, but the fate of the world. Is <laughs> on your, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll let, well, let's, it, it really has uh, been helpful. Um, last week, I was actually, I was listening to a lot of the, the keto episodes and um, I'm insulin dependent. I've been insulin dependent since I was 19. So um, it's actually helpful listening to a lot of the, the insulin tips you've got too. That's excellent. I'm I'm super excited. All right, let me dig into this a little bit because I feel like it would be that most people would hear that at 16 you were diagnosed with type 2. Most people with type 1 would hear that and think, "Oh, she was probably misdiagnosed and they just don't know yet." And um but you've had this diagnosis for 8 years, is that right? Right. Yeah. And you don't know how many times I've told people I'm type 2 diabetic and I'm only 24 years old and they ask me, "No, no, you're a type 2. I mean, you're a type 1 or are you sure you're a type two? And um, I actually have had the antibody test done and the C-peptide test, um, and it all came back normal. So yeah, it's pretty much confirmed that I'm type two. And do you know why people would say that? It's because so many type ones are misdiagnosed as type twos in the beginning. Yes, I've actually, uh, that's actually what 
persuaded me to do a little bit of research on it and then asked my endocrinologist for the blood test to get it done is um, it, it's a pretty big percentage of type twos that get diagnosed, um, with, especially with Leda type 1.5. Um, but I think a lot of them are also diag- or misdiagnosed over 30 years old too. You know, I, I'm just, I, I, I know this is strange, but I'm fluttering inside. Like, I feel like I'm 18 and I, I saw my Heather Thomas poster for the first time again, which is just a reference no one will get. Uh, but I'm super excited to talk to you, I'm realizing, as you represent the other side of a one-way mirror to me. Like, like, how many conversations have I had with type 1s who tell these long stories about, you know, they said I was type 2, they put me on metformin, I was miserable for years, you know, all this stuff happened to my health, and it's such a, I just had someone on recently, you know, who, who it happened to, and it's such a, a terrible story, never, like, thinking about the other side of the story and flipping things around and saying to yourself, what about all the people who are diagnosed that are type two that fit in that space that we never meet and never know about. So tell me a little bit about it. How did type two diabetes present when you were 16? Well, it actually started when I was uh, a little bit younger. I was 12 or 13 and uh, I can't remember why, but my mom wanted me to get blood work done. So I did. And my A1C came back a little bit high. Uh, They told me I was pre-diabetic and then, um, once a year, I would just go back and get blood work done, get blood work done. And my A1C just kept going up and up. And it finally reached that threshold of diabetes. And they diagnosed me. Um, they put me on metformin. Um, it was the August, September, August before I started my senior year of high school. So um, quite an interesting time. Yeah, nothing like getting um, something that people think about as like, oh, yeah, my grandmother has that when you're that age. That must have been really strange, right? It was really strange. And my mom is type two as well. Uh, she's been type two. Oh gosh, I can't remember how long I was pretty young when she got diagnosed, but I guess that's what sparked her concern. And, um, ever since I was a teenager, I've always been a little bit overweight and I I was my maximum weight when I was diagnosed. So I weighed 225 pounds, um, at 16 years old. So I've since lost quite a bit of that weight. And then I got back on insulin and gained some of it back, but um, it, it, it was hard hearing uh, like, oh, you got diagnosed because, because you're overweight, because you're fat and whether or not that's true or whether it's more genetics, um, that's a different story for a different time, I guess. But when you're 16 years old, it's hard to hear that. Yeah. No kidding. I can imagine. You, would you consider your mom overweight? She is. She's a, and I don't consider either of us obese by any means, mm-hmm. but um, definitely a little bit of extra pounds there for both of us. Yeah, I'm just trying to figure out how familial the entire thing is. So your mom has type two, struggles with her weight a little bit. You are as well. Can I ask you for context, at 16, did you feel like you ate poorly or did you feel like the no matter what you did, this this was happening? A little bit of both. Um, uh, we tried to eat healthy at home, but then, you know, I had a boyfriend at the time and I had lots of friends that I would go out with and, and we would just eat unhealthy foods when we would go out because, you know, you're 16, you go get a pizza or you go get burgers or whatever. Right. So it was kind of like a, during the week, I ate pretty healthy during the weekend. I did not so much. Gotcha. Yeah. And I, so hope- I, I can't exactly say I did. 
a hundred percent of what I probably should have been doing to try to keep my blood sugars down at the time. But, you know, when you're 16, you don't really understand that. And you also weren't eating any differently than your like friend group within reason. That's true. It's, yeah. it's it's not like I spent all day every day shoving, you know, greasy burgers into my mouth. Yeah. No, I just want people to have context because if it was just if it was just one thing or the other, then everybody in that group would have the same outcome. You know what I mean? Like if it was just as easy as, oh, she didn't eat well, so she got type two diabetes, that's on her, then that would have happened to all those other people as well. It's not that simple. You obviously have um I mean, it would seem to me a genetic predisposition to it. Um, and, you know, well, how old was your mom when she was diagnosed? Do you have any idea? She was in her 40s. I can't remember exactly. Which would still be young, I would think, if it was, you know, because right. I don't know, when I was younger, type 2 diabetes is something that happened to people slowly over time if it happened to them. You know what I mean? Like, it wasn't like... um you didn't hear a lot of people getting it when they were 20. You didn't even hear a lot of people happening in their 30s or 40s. It was like one of those things that, you know, I, I hate to say it, but like my grandmother got when she was in her late 60s, you, you know, like all of a sudden the doctor was like, you know, your A1C is too high. You have type 2 diabetes. We're going to give you some medicine and ch- try to change your diet a little bit. It was literally the right. beginning and end of it, you know. Um, and then obviously it's become more than that. And it's prevalent in society right now. I, you know, we could, like you said, you could dig down deep and why if it's, you know, processed foods and, and, you know, that kind of stuff that's literally changing people's DNA as, as, um, you know, as time goes on. But for, for us and why you're here and why I'm excited that you're here, let me see if this makes sense to you and see how helpful you think you can be in this. You're going to be a little more of a part, okay. a partner than an interviewee in this conversation. Sorry. Um, <laughs> but so it's my, I maintain that the reason this podcast is valuable for people who use insulin in general, and you know, I guess it started out for people with type one diabetes, but is that it unlocks concepts and ideas and things that people don't generally talk about in public or don't have the opportunity to talk about. You can't just go find another type one and you start saying about, you know, hey, what do you do about pizza? You know, or how do you pre-bolus a meal? Like the, these conversations are hard to have. They're hard to find. And even when you go to your physician, you get a lot of out of the manual advice from them, right? Which very, right. very infrequently actually translates to real life. So I've been saying for years and years and years that part of the reason why the podcast works is because it creates a community of information where you can be anonymous, so you can show up with your type 1 or your insulin dependence, hear everything you need to hear, and never have to say to another person, I have type 1 diabetes, I'm struggling, or I don't understand this one piece. You get to stay private, but yet have a public experience. Does that make sense? It does, yeah. Okay. And furthermore, I think that would be a really valuable thing for people with type 2 diabetes as well. And so I think the first steps of that idea coming to fruition is finding people with type 2 diabetes who are willing to speak honestly about what it's like to have it so that other people with type 2 diabetes can listen to that conversation without having to come out of the shadows if they don't want to. So they can still hear the information, but not have to raise their hand and say, I have type 2 diabetes. I think that's the the first step to a 
to a, to a good plan for people with type two. Um, so I really appreciate you being willing to do that. And you've already in the first 10 minutes been incredibly honest. So let's keep mining into your honesty, shall we? Okay. <laughs> and, and I agree about, about having a space for, for type ones, of course, but also type twos to, um, you know, have these questions and have answers to them because there's still a lot of stigma about type two diabetes. And it's it's really hard to have conversations with people without it turning into like a negative thing sometimes. Oh, it's all stigma. I think the stigma is what's stopping people from being healthy. You know what I mean? Like, I think it's just a it's a bridge too far. It's a wall too high. It's just I can't. I'm having problems with my health. This is very scary. I don't know what to do. Nothing I do seems to work. And on top of that, you mean I have to walk out into public and tell people this is who I am, knowing that they're going to look back at me and say, oh, what did you do? How did you cause this, you know, for yourself and then try to find help through all that? I think it's too much. I, I really do, um, especially when doctors seem to have predisposed ideas that are not necessarily accurate or helpful at times. Um, how did you find your medical help in the beginning? Well, um, I was originally just going to like a primary care doctor who was a pediatrician because um, I was still a teenager. Mm -hmm. And then they sent me over to um, the children's hospital in Chapel Hill, uh, which is where I got diagnosed. And, uh, I hung out there for the first couple of years because I was still a minor. Yeah. And then uh, when I turned 18, I started going to the endocrinologist that my mom sees. Um, and I really, really like her. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you found decent care in the beginning, and they and so metformin's first. Can you describe what it's right. like to take metformin? Sorry, what was that? What's it like to take metformin? You know, a lot of people say that they have stomach issues with it. I think that's the main side effect of it. I'm on the extended release version of it, so I've never really had any problems with it. My biggest problem is it's a big pill, and I hate taking pills. <laughs> And I know that sounds funny, but that's, I really haven't had any problems with it. That being said, I don't know if it's really helping my blood sugars all that much. I mean, I know it doesn't directly bring your blood sugars down. Mm -hmm. That's not how metformin works, but um, the insulin's been more helpful than anything for me. Okay. Does metformin help with weight? I'm really not sure. I haven't found that it helps with my weight at all. Okay. I know that metformin can be used off-label for weight loss, and that's why I was wondering if you saw any kind of a an, uh, like a boon from it for that. So how long were you just metformin, and what were your A1Cs through that time? Well, i got to be completely honest here. I did not take care of myself for a long time. I, I kind of blew it off. Um, I wasn't checking my blood sugars every day like I was supposed to. I to this day, I'm still terrified of a glucometer and pricking my fingers. Um, so I stayed on metformin by itself for, I guess, about three years, at which point um, my doctor put me on long-acting insulin. Mm -hmm. um, and I was on that for about a year before I started taking short-acting. Um, but even then, I, I still just wasn't really taking care of myself. I wasn't taking it seriously. Um, and it's, it's been about a year now. I've really been cracking down on it and getting my A1C down because my A1C has been as high as up into the 11s before. Okay. So and that's not good. No, no, no. Let's talk about the beginning and then we'll get to the, to where you're at now. Um, 
Okay. So when they put you on a short acting insulin or a long acting insulin, you mean like they gave you Levamir, Lantus, something like that, and you just shot it once a day? Yeah, it was Levamir. Levamir. And you wouldn't know necessarily how much it was or wasn't helping because you weren't testing along with it. Is that right? That's correct. Gotcha. And on top of my needle phobia of pricking my finger, uh, big surprise, I also have a needle phobia of jabbing myself in the stomach with <laughs> insulin. You're not big on sticking yourself with metal things? What a surprise. Not really. <laughs> <laughs> I want you to know, Haley, before we go any farther, that I believe your story to be most people's story about type 2 diabetes. I, I really do. I don't think you should be here feeling like I didn't take care of myself and I let myself down and all that. I think this is what happens to people with type 2 for the most part. Like, I really do. Now, you know, there's – have you ever heard about using intermittent fasting to help with type 2 diabetes? I have, and I actually kind of do that now. I don't eat breakfast, so I typically eat between 12 p.m. and 7 p.m. 12 p.m. Um, right. I don't, I don't know how much it's really helped me. Maybe I could be a little stricter with it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've, I've spoken to some people with type 2 privately who have gone to a strict intermittent fasting diet, meaning they really stick to um, those times. And they've eliminated some obvious foods like some breads and, you know, that kind of stuff. And it's had a significant impact on how much medication they've had to take um, and where their blood sugars and A1Cs are falling. Um, I, I'm hoping there's this one person I'm thinking of. I'm hoping I can talk him into being on the show one day, but he's incredibly private about it. But I, I'm hoping to get him one day to talk about it. Um, but. I mean, those are avenues. My mother just very recently was told that her A1C is creeping up. She's 78. Um, she So they called her type 2. And the first thing we did was I went to her house and I was like, all right, mom, look, here's all the food I think you shouldn't buy anymore. And we removed a lot of things that came in packages, boxes, uh, stuff that she thought was good for her that ended up having more carbs in it than you would think, um, prepackaged food. And... I asked her to try an intermittent diet, you know, pick some times and stick with them. I think she's down like 23 pounds now from eating intermittently and removing some of those things. And she's 78 and, you know, her, her amount of movement is, you know, chair, bed, shower. Like, you know, she's not out running around or anything like that. So it's having a big right. impact for her, which I think is terrific. Um, yeah, that's awesome for yeah, her. That's yeah. really great. Can you tell me a little more about the ignoring it, because I think it's common, and I wonder if you know why you did it, and if you can talk about it a little bit. You know, when you're 16, it's it's really hard to see into the future, like, oh, if I don't take care of this, I could lose a limb, or I could get kidney disease, or I could go blind. It's It's really hard to see that when you're 16, and your vision's fine, and your legs are fine. For all you know, your kidneys are fine. And even through college, it was still hard to see that. And and diabetes is weird because it's it's not like you you're sick and you take your medicine like like strep throat for one. You take antibiotics for strep throat and it gets better within a few days. That's not how diabetes works. Yeah. You know, you you take medicine to kind of prevent all these bad things from happening. You're not really taking medicine to quote unquote get better. So it was hard for me to take medicine long-term and understand that it's, it's not really working to necessarily 
do anything right this moment, but protect me for the rest of my life. Um, so I guess I just had difficulty wrapping my head around that. And it's like, well, I feel fine. And even when my blood sugars were up in the 300s, even, um, I, I didn't feel it. Yeah. I felt fine. So it's not like, I was like, oh, I feel terrible. I need to start really working to bring my blood sugars down. I just kind of carried on with my life like nothing was wrong. I often think about this, and I mean, the best I've ever come up with is that none of us launch into real consciousness, like adulthood, believing that a health issue is going to exist in our lives. And I think if you step back and look at the world, you might start to realize that people who skate through completely untouched by health issues are not necessarily the norm. You know, I think it's it's far more common. Like, think about, you know, everything that could be. You know what I mean? Like, my daughter has type 1. She's got a thyroid thing. My wife has a thyroid thing. Um, you know, my body doesn't seem to hold on to iron for some reason. Um, I've always carried weight around my midsection, no matter what I've done about it my entire life. Um, you know, some people are going to get cancer. Some people are going to get into an accident and have a physical injury. You're going to play basketball and break a patella tendon. Like most people are going to experience medical difficulties. The difference between one that can resolve and one that will be ongoing is that's the part that hurts, in my opinion. Like, that's the one that gets you. It's like, oh, this is going to be forever. I'm just maintaining this. It gives you a feeling that you're on a steady decline. You know, you're heading down a hill on a runaway train, and someone gives you a handle and says, if you pull on this, it'll slow the train down. It's not going to stop it, but you'll get to stay on the train longer before you crash at the end. Like that's what it feels like to be told you have an autoimmune disease. Like in my opinion, like it just, it feels like you're on a path to something that's not going to end well. And I don't think that needs to be the case or that it's even true for a lot of people. But when it feels like it's true, it's almost a self-fulfilling prophecy at that point. Then you just think, well, something bad's going to happen. It might as well happen instead of thinking, I should put every effort I can into learning about this and doing the best I can with it so that my life's not this slog downhill, but it's a great life that just happens to include, you know, X, Y, Z, something in it. Um, are you at that point now? Pretty much. Yeah. Um, for, for the longest time, I just, I guess I just kind of thought, well, I've got this disease, like if if it's going to kill me early, it's going to kill me early. Um, but I don't want to be roped down to medications and insulin and checking my blood sugar and having to monitor this thing for the rest of my life. But I've come to realize more that if I do these things, and they're really not that big of a deal, but if I do these things, I can live a lot longer and I can live a lot healthier. If you listen to this show, you know why you would want a Dexcom G6 continuous glucose monitor if you had type 1 diabetes. It's because you can see your blood sugar in real time, the number, the speed, and the direction. You can see graphs for 3, 6, 12, 24 hours, so you can get a real idea of what's been happening. You can look back and say, here I used insulin and then this happened, here I had something to eat, it was 
you know, this, and then this happened, right? There's a lot of this, this, and this, but you understand what I'm saying. You can see what food and insulin is doing to your blood sugar. That's just as important for type twos. It just really is. As a matter of fact, it's kind of hard to figure out what food's doing to your blood sugar by just using a finger stick. So maybe you're a type two and you're not as worried about getting super low, but I mean, maybe you are. Maybe you're on some medications and you're using insulin. I don't know your situation. All I can tell you for sure is that the Dexcom G6 continuous glucose monitor is the best thing you could be doing for yourself if you have diabetes. And if you're using insulin, especially. Dexcom.com forward slash juicebox. Get started today with the Dexcom G6. Know the speed, direction, and number of your blood sugar. At the swipe of your hand, I'm picking up my iPhone, swiping up, touching my Dexcom follow app, and finding out that my daughter's blood sugar is... Drum roll, please. 81. It's also stable. It's not rising or falling at any specific rate. It's stable at 81. I could have done that on an Android phone as well, you know. Check it out, please. Dexcom.com forward slash juice box. Don't have a phone? Doesn't matter. Dexcom has a receiver. Go find out more. While you're on the internet, why don't you take a look at the Omnipod? It is a tubeless insulin pump. So again, if you're a person who needs to deliver insulin, this is for you. Actually, you might be eligible for a free 30-day trial of the Omnipod Dash right now. Head over to omnipod.com forward slash juice box to find out. But if you're one of those people who's like, yeah, Scott, I will pretty soon, but I'm waiting for that next big thing that Omnipod's got coming. I understand. But there's no need. Because the next best thing can be yours with the Omnipod promise. What does that mean? Well, the Omnipod promise says that you can upgrade to Omnipod's latest technologies for no additional cost as soon as they're available to you and covered by your insurance. Terms and conditions apply, but you can find out all the details at omnipod.com forward slash juice box. Trust me, the Omnipod is wicked cool. My daughter's been wearing it since she was four years old and she just turned 17. If you're looking for an insulin pump, but you don't want that tubing, you don't want to have to take it off the bathe or get your tubing caught on doorknobs and stuff like that. If you're looking to get away from insulin, like injections, pens, or looking to get away from your janky insulin pump that you have now, Omnipod's a great choice. Omnipod.com forward slash juice box. One more quick thing about Omnipod. If you're from Australia, yo guys, it happened. Omnipod's available in Australia right now. Did you know? Did you? Did you? Did you know? Did you know? I don't know why I'm doing this. Uh, let me give you the link. Omnipod.com forward slash juice box AU. So if you're from Australia, find out more at Omnipod.com forward slash juice box AU. Okay, let's get back to Haley. Oh my God, this is taking forever. Am I right? felt like that was never going to end. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you. I'm obviously I do. I don't know I don't know how the mind makes that first jump. Like, okay, like in your situation, I have type 2 diabetes. We're just going to live fast and die. You know what I mean? Like I'm just going to burn out quick. Like there's nothing I can do about this. Whereas what you've learned is the things that you can do about it 
I mean, are, in my opinion, way better than not doing anything and having poor health co- outcomes that, that occur, you know, more and more frequently and sooner in life than you would expect. I don't, like, I don't get that idea of, I just don't understand. Do you know what I mean? Like, it just, it doesn't, I, I, I don't not understand that it happens to people, but I, I don't know why. I can't begin to explain to you why somebody built into me, don't quit, don't stop. You know what I mean? And, mm-hmm. um, and that's what you need. Like, you need a don't quit attitude because there is a, like, there is a sunny day beyond this. Like, somebody can tell you you have type 2 diabetes and it's not going to be fun and it won't be easy, but there is an end to the struggle part where you get into the maintenance part, I think. Right. And and I've definitely been very particular about keeping my blood sugars within a certain range and um, making sure I take my medicine every day. And I do feel a lot better now. Yeah. Do you? That's that's amazing. So you did find that there obviously there was a difference between a 300 blood sugar and not. But you actually can see now that you have stability at lower numbers, if you get higher, you can you can tell now. Oh, I absolutely feel awful if I get above about 200 now. Hmm. Isn't that interesting how your body can try to adapt to something that far into itself, like a 300 blood sugar? Like it, it does its best for you not to notice that that's a problem, even though it is and it, it will continue to be and get worse. It tries so hard to to adapt, you know? It's really it's really something else. Um, how do you manage then? So like, like do you can you listen to the podcast and you you're on the forum and stuff like that. So do you consider your day-to-day management much different than people with type twos uh, than type ones? Excuse me. Uh, Yes and no. I mean, I fully understand that type two diabetes is a completely different beast than type one diabetes. There's no denying that. That being said, since I'm on insulin now, it's kind of interesting to pick up tips from people who use insulin you know, for literally everything like type ones do. Um, and I've, I've come to realize that I, I manage my blood sugars with insulin therapy, similarly to type ones. Um, I, you know, I don't take a specific amount of insulin. I, 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 when I first got put on short-term insulin, I was put on a set number, no matter what I ate. Um, it was, 10 units that slowly crept up to 20 units, but it didn't matter if I ate kale and spinach or if I ate an entire pizza, I can't eat an entire pizza. That's theoretical, (laughs) (laughs) but, um, you know, it was 20 units no matter what. And since then I've kind of talked to my doctor about like getting onto more of a, a sliding scale. So it's been interesting, I guess, to read the forum and listen to the podcast and see how type ones will take their insulin to carb ratio, which I'm still struggling with that a little bit. I haven't quite figured out maybe if I should have one and if so, what it should be. Um, Sorry, I'm going on a little bit of a tangent here. I'm just thinking about how I'm super interested. (laughs) Don't, don't you apologize. You're doing exactly what I was hoping you would do. Don't worry about it. Um, I understand that when you, when you are trying to think through something and say it at the same time, it can feel like you're fumbling, but you were, you weren't. So are you telling me that, you get up in the morning and you go to eat something. You don't give yourself insulin, wait a little bit and eat. That's not how it works. Well, that's what I do now. Okay. 
but when you started, they were just giving you a blanket amount of insulin. So they were basically, am I understanding that when you started, you just always had a higher number and they were giving you some fast acting insulin, just trying to drag that number down. Right. And I I guess the assumption was that, you know, my pancreas is still producing insulin. So it's just that my body's a lot more insulin resistant than it should be. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, which is pretty much true for all type two diabetics. Um, so I was just kind of trying to assist my body with producing insulin. So giving it a little bit of artificial insulin to kind of help it bring the blood sugars down. Gotcha. Bring in um, some reinforcements. Yeah. Okay. Right. Basically. Uh, is your... and I, I guess to an extent that's still what I'm doing because I mean, obviously I'm still making a little bit of insulin um, or else I wouldn't be type two, I guess. Right. And so you're just trying to be more targeted with where you're using the insulin now. Basically. Do you have a glucose monitor? So, uh, I, I mean, I do. And I, I have a flash glucose monitor that I wear. Mm-hmm. And really, that's been the biggest lifesaver. No, I would imagine. Like, I, I wore a Dexcom a couple of weeks ago. Did you happen to see that? I, I put my numbers online live at the same time. Like, you could see my Dexcom graph. Yeah. Was that in, helpful for you at all? Oh, yeah. It's super interesting. And it, it's. It, it kind of fascinates me as as someone who doesn't use insulin super well um, to see someone with like normal blood sugars wear it. Mm-hmm. So what is the protocol like from a doctor when you have type two? What do they say to you? Like, what is it you're supposed to you know, quote unquote supposed to be doing? Like, what are the masses being told to do about their type two diabetes? So when I was first diagnosed, you know, the first thing is we're going to put you on metformin okay, we'll be on metformin. And then it was, you need to fix your diet. Okay, how do I fix my diet? Well, they send you to a nutritionist or a dietitian. Um, and they, they pretty much told me to eat a lot of like switching, I guess, switching like white bread to like whole grains, things like that. Um, cut back on the fruit because it's super high in sugar. And <clears throat> excuse me. Mm. Um, they also encouraged me to switch, for instance, like switch soda to diet soda and drink like sugar-free drinks, eat sugar-free candy and stuff like that. I have since discovered that that doesn't really work for me. I get pretty bad headaches from sucralose mm-hmm. um, and I'm just not a big fan of aspartame. So instead, I've just on my own decided to cut out sodas completely. And I live in the South. Um, sweet tea is our, you know the southern drink it's, it's sweet tea and yeah. I, I used to drink sweet tea so often and i've since switched to unsweet tea and at first that was really hard and now i actually like it more than sweet tea but um i've, I've just tried to cut out a lot of excess sugar like that yeah. um so i pretty much completely drink sweet unsweet tea and water now right um and as far as my diet they they didn't really tell me to go low carb just to cut down on the carbs um, and that's something I've definitely struggled with, but I, I feel like for a type two diabetic eating really low carb is, is pretty much the way to go. Have you ever tried something drastic and by drastic, I mean, just like picking a way of eating and trying it for a month to see what happens, like just meat or like, have you tried carnivore or just to try it or keto or something like that? I don't even know all of them. I'm just saying, have you gone down <laughs> that rabbit hole? Not really. When I was in college, um, I, I learned how to cook for myself 
and I would cook a lot of low carb meals. I don't know if they were necessarily keto, but I tried to keep the carbs down low. Uh, but again, like on the weekends, I would order a pizza or go out with friends or whatever. So I can't say I really faithfully stuck to that low carb diet, but even eating low carb during the week helped me lose quite a bit of weight. Yeah. No, I would imagine. I I think a lower carb diet on a fasting schedule would be, would be pretty great for you, but you'd have to, you'd have to really be looking at your blood sugars to know, like, that's the, that's the real thing. Like I, I was talking to someone recently and I said, you know, if you're wearing this Dexcom, they have type two diabetes. I said, if you're wearing this Dexcom, what you would see is how hard these different foods are hitting you and how long they're keeping your blood sugar up and how sometimes you can mix them uh, or take them apart of each other and not get the same impact. Um, one of the like most fascinating things that I did while I was wearing a CGM, and of course I don't have diabetes, was like I ate a big bowl of cereal. Like I took two servings. I actually picked two different cereals, right? Like I, I went for, I reached back into my childhood memory and I got corn pops and honey smacks. And I was like, I got them home and I was like, which one should I have? And I was like, ah, screw that. I'll have them both. So I took a serving of one and a serving of the other. I combined them in the same bowl and I ate them all. And I looked at the CGM and I thought, you know, my, of course I'm colored with type one diabetes and, and, you know, all my experiences with my daughter and other people. And I was like, God, I wonder what this will do to my blood sugar. But, you know, it didn't make it go up over like 160 and it did not stay up there very long. It came right back down again. And I was like, huh, well, that was fascinating. So then I had pizza, two slices of pizza. I was great. When I added the third slice of pizza, it pushed my blood sugar up and held it up for a couple of hours. Simple sugars, my body could dispense with no trouble if they were by themselves. So I could take like a handful of like gummy candy or something like that that is like dipped in sugar and I wouldn't even see my blood sugar move. It was so it was interesting to see where my body struggled more and where it was just like, oh, we have insulin. This is no problem. Like you want to eat a gummy bear? Boom. I got it. You know what I mean? You want to have a slice of pizza? I can take mm -hmm. care of that. You want to have three slices of pizza? You're in trouble. Now, I, I got to tell you, I gained. I wore a CGM for 10 days and gained nine pounds trying to show people what it would be like. It was just like I was eating foods like I would never eat like three slices of pizza, like sort of not me. Um, I do like like sugary candy. So I do like if you put it in a candy bowl and I walk past it, I'm going to grab one like that's going to happen. Um, so I try not to put candy in candy bowls. So I eat way more food than I normally do. Like I hadn't had a bowl of cereal and like I genuinely don't know how long. But I took the CGM off, understanding what hit me and what didn't went back to the way I was eating normally, lost the weight in another 10 days. As quickly as it went on, it came right off again. It was, it was really interesting. Um, I can't tell you that I felt worse during the 10 days of eating, but I think that if I would have continued it, it would have started to drag me down. Like I didn't do it long enough for it to really impact me too badly. Um, the whole thing was really, it was, it was eye-opening. And I found myself thinking, Anyone with type two diabetes would benefit from seeing this data, you know? Well, it's, it's funny that you mentioned pizza because that is the one food that I just cannot figure out. It, it doesn't matter how much insulin I take to start with. It will spike me and it will spike me for like the rest of the day. Yeah. And it doesn't matter if I take more insulin, it just won't come down. Wow. I've, 
never had that much of a problem with any other food, but but pizza seems to be it for me. So the combination, it's the combination of the bread and the cheese. So have you ever listened to the fat and protein pro tip episode? I haven't made it to that one yet. That one's going to help you with the idea of pizza. The cheese slows down your digestion. It holds the bread and the carbs in your stomach longer. So the carbs and the glucose are just leaching out for hours upon hours because your body's not dispensing with it. The cheese slows down the digestion. It holds the carbs in your system longer is a really basic way of thinking about it. So there, that is so interesting. Yeah, there likely might be an amount of insulin that would topple it, but it's probably enough that it scares you to use it, I would imagine. Do you have that problem? Yeah, probably so. Do you have you ever had lows from using insulin? I have. Um, I sometimes overcorrect and and like I said, I've been very particular about how high I'll let my blood sugars get. So sometimes it'll start going up and it'll freak me out and I'll take some insulin to correct it and it'll bring it down a little bit too much. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, definitely have a problem with that. It's not as often, um, as the highs, I guess, Yeah, but it happens every now and again. Are you still using Levamir? No, I'm actually switched to Lantus. Lantus. Uh, my insurance switched me. You should try to get them to put you on Traceba. Um, I I see people. Hey, I've heard a little bit about, Traceba, it's it's still a mystery to me. I wish I think I don't know if that's a Novo drug or I can't remember. I think it's God. I don't remember. I think it might be a Novo drug, Um, but that with people with type one who are doing MDI, I see people have a lot more success with Traceba than what you would consider to be the older, slowing acting and slower acting insulins, which would be Lantus and Levomir. So Lantus and Levomir are, are, I think, a little older technology. Traceba, and there's probably another one from another company that I'm not thinking of right now, um, that have more of an overlap. I think Levomir and Lantus can die out before 24 hours is up. And so do you ever see that? Do you see any extra resistance like 18 hours after you inject that slow-acting insulin? I'll be completely honest. I can't particularly tell that the long-acting is helping at all. Um so what's your... uh, there have been days that I've skipped it and it doesn't seem to have any effect on my blood sugar. So, okay. So let's give context to that. Where does your blood sugar okay. sit most days? Um, it depends on the time of day at night. It usually sits around, well, it sits around like a hundred till about 3am and it dips down. And then that dawn effect starts happening to me mm-hmm. and it gets up to about 150 uh, when I first wake up in the mornings, but I like to keep it around 120-ish during the day. Okay, so you can see 150 in the in the morning. Then I assume you shoot the Lantus or Levomir at about that time of day? You know, I actually take it at night because that's when I take the rest of my like once-a-day medicines. Oh, okay. Um, so you really are having like a feet-on-the-floor like surge in the morning that your body can't quell. Does that make sense to you? Basically. Works? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I don't know how much of the podcast you've dug into, but the idea of just life, like you wake up and your body ramps up for things. It starts producing cortisol and adrenaline and things like that. And you're, and that tries to make your blood sugar go up in a, in a body that's functioning the way it should, it would just stop it. Um, or, or, or wouldn't let it be up, but in a body that's not resisting well, that blood sugar can go up and stay up for a while. And then, right. So the Lantus or the Levomir, I'm sorry, what'd you say you're on now? Lev? Um, Lantus. Lantus. Now. So the Lantus isn't helping that in the morning. Does it happen? 
for certain every day? Pretty much. Yeah. I would say like nine times out of 10, I wake up and my blood sugar's high. And it, it's funny by about lunchtime, it's, it's gone back down to about one thirty. You wake up and it's high. What time of day does it, oh, but it's, you don't have a continuous glucose monitor. You only have a flash monitor. So you're not using a Dexcom. You're using like a freestyle, right? Yeah. I'm, I'm still on the freestyle 14 day. Um, gotcha. I, I know the freestyle two has got alarms on it, but they haven't come out with a phone app for it yet. And I, I love my phone app and I'm afraid I would lose the reader. <laughs> So what I'm interested so I'm in, I'm still using the old hey, one. Hey, listen, you do what works. But what I'm interested in is, I want to know what time of the morning does your blood sugar begin to go up? Because in my way, three a.m. three every day, no matter what, no matter what, it doesn't matter what I ate the night before. It doesn't matter what I ate the day before. Three a.m. So where does it try to go to? About one fifty. That's usually about what it goes to. Can you imagine amount of of short acting, fast acting insulin that would combat that? And have you ever considered waking up at three o'clock in the morning and shooting some to see what would happen? You know, I've never really thought about doing that. I wonder if that would help. Haley, if I was Dr. Frankenstein and you were the monster and... <laughs> I could try it. I certainly would. By the way, does everyone know that Frankenstein's the doctor and not the monster? The monster's just called the monster, by the way. But I think, anyway, that's not the point. The point is, Haley, <laughs> you're like, I'm 24. No, that's what one the of hell my, is like, Frank? Oh, really? Hold on a second. Let's oh, go yeah. down. Go ahead. Tell me. I, I like, I hate when people say Frankenstein and they're referring to the monster. It's like, yeah. No. It's Frankenstein's no, that's, that's monster. The doctor. Right, right, right. It's Dr. Frankenstein, Frankenstein's monster. The monster actually is just called the monster. Am I wrong? Hold on a second. Is it called just the monster or Frankenstein's monster? I'm looking. <sighs> Jesus, now I'm on the internet. The monster has no name in the novel. <laughs> it has been said that this omission is a reflection of Victor Frankenstein's complete rejection of his creation. The monster calls himself the atom of your labors and is referred to as the creature, the fiend, the demon, and the wretch. All right, listen, first of all, I'm not calling you any of those things just so we can be clear. <laughs> I was just, anyway, what I was saying is if, if, if you put me in charge of the science experiment that is your life, I would set an alarm for 3 a.m., inject some fast-acting insulin, and see what ha where I wake up. And I, because I'm trying to think of you as the way I thought about my daughter prior to glucose sensing technology and the things I would have done to try to keep her blood sugar down. Because if you could, I'm interested to know if you could launch into your day at a blood sugar of 80 or 90, would you have to live with a 120 all day or would you sit at a different spot? Like, are you just 120 all day because of the 150 bump that happens at 3 a.m.? And to me, it's worth trying to figure out. Yeah, try? maybe I should look into that because I've never really thought about like what I could possibly do. I asked my endocrinologist if there's anything I can do to combat the dawn effect. And she's like, not really. You could eat like a piece of cheese at night and that'll keep your blood sugar from going down too low. But it's like, I'm not super worried about that because the lowest it ever gets is like, you know, 80 or 90 yeah. um, at, at night. So that's not really my concern so much. And she said, well, there's not really anything you can do for the dawn effect. Right, so, so maybe I should give that a shot. I'm thinking if you try it like manually 
and you notice it works, where would you be uh, on the idea of wearing an insulin pump? Because if you had an insulin oh, pump on, you could jack up your basal at like 2 a.m. to stop it. You wouldn't have to wake up anymore. Thoughts on that? Haley, are you that dead? Would be, oh, I thought I lost you. I was like, that's it. She gave so, up. She hung up. <laughs> you broke up a little bit. Start over again. No, no. no. <laughs> um, sorry, my mom called on my phone, and I think that made my phone freak out a little bit. Like, what's going on? I don't know how to handle this. Please explain oh. to her. You're on an incredibly popular diabetes podcast right now, and we cannot have phone calls. That's <laughs> Yeah, I'm like, mom, I'm busy. Do you imagine <laughs> that she even would know what a podcast is? She's probably like, a what? No, that's not. So, so would you be amenable to wearing an insulin pump if that was your best option? I would love to wear an insulin pump. Um, I actually inquired about that with my endocrinologist, um, and she wanted to put me on the tandem pump. Okay. She thought that would be the best option for me. And I looked into different pumps and turns out my insurance won't pay for one. So are you, uh, are stuck you, with NBI for now. Are you a student still or do you have, are you in the working world? What are you doing? Uh, no, I'm, I'm a full-blown adult now. I, I do have a full-time job. I graduated in 2018. Oh, congratulations. Um, okay. Thank you. Yeah, no, of course. Listen, having a job in this world right now is... Uh, it's a big accomplishment. I look at my son in college and I was like, how's he going to get a job? Like when this all like, how do you even apply for a job during Corona? What do you do? You know what I mean? Well, it's, it's kind of hilarious actually, because, um, well, I, I had a pretty hard time finding a job when I first graduated. It took me about a year and a half. And I started this job that I'm working right now back in March of 2020, um, which was kind of like the breaking point in America. Yeah. So I went to my office for a week. And then at the end of that week, they're like, okay, we're sending everybody in for a couple of to let the pandemic kind of die out. So you can come in a couple of weeks. And I said, okay. So I brought my laptop home and I've been home ever since. So <laughs> you basically worked for I'm four working weeks. From home. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, I know a person who uh, went in for their first day and then the p pandemic, like literally for that company started the next day. He's only ever been in the building one time, one time for one day. Um, Okay, so you can't get a pump yet because of insurance, but if you could, so if you could, my idea would be to ramp up the basal insulin at a time that would cut off the dawn phenomenon and then have it come back. I'm telling you right now, if you could find patterns in your blood sugar, then having a pump and the ability to manipulate the basal insulin, like put it where you need it kind of thing, instead of just laying a blanket over the day, I would think that it would be fairly easy to impact the blood sugars that way. But in the meantime, you could do it with short acting insulin as an experiment, because if you could just keep a couple of blips down a day, that could probably change your A1C significantly. Let me, what is your A1C right now? Would you tell me? It's 6.6. .6. All right, cool. So let me look at something. That's like three weeks old. I think I got it done three weeks ago. All right. So I'm on my website now. There's a really cool calculator on my website that does A1C and stuff. It works in minimals or, you know, a, a, all the different ways. So you said 6.6. 6. 6. So your A1C is 6.6. .6. Your average blood sugar is 143. So if we made your average blood sugar 100, it would take your A1C to 5.1. And 
And I would love to see those numbers. Yeah. So I think the, to me, the experiment is to knock down any long running high blood sugars. Cause if you think about it from 3 AM until whenever, if you're 150, that's five, six hours, that's six hours just getting to 9 AM. And then if you get a bump from breakfast, it doesn't come back down till noonish. Is this about what happens to you? Well, I don't eat breakfast. Yeah, I hate breakfast myself. By the way, I feel like I, I like. The, I'm I'm sorry if this makes people stop listening, but I'm just not a big breakfast person. Um, I know I'm in the minority with that, but can you imagine? I've never been a big what, fan of breakfast. Can you food. imagine someone right now being unbelievable and just pushing the button and shutting it off? No eggs Benedict ever. Boom! I'm out of here. Um, I would think if they were going to leave this episode, it would have been back when I asked you how you ate five seconds into it when you had type two diabetes. By the way, um, <laughs> but but I think anybody who's still listening now is in for the long haul. So, and I'm glad they're here. I think that I think that's your best first option. I mean, if you could just quell that 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 first thing in the morning, if you took fifty points out of that. I think that changes your A1C significantly. And then you could start to figure out how to put in fast-acting insulin for the meals. Um, And obviously, while still continuing to look at diet and exercise and see if you can't impact things in a different way, do you think you could, do you think your situation is escapable? Meaning, is there a world where you could eat so specifically and exercise in such a way that you would change your body and not need insulin anymore has the doctor given you any indication around that um i you know i haven't talked about it with my doctor in a while but i know it's possible um i I know a lot of type twos can eat well like super well and exercise well and really get those blood sugar numbers down and and they get off insulin some of them even get off metformin Mm -hmm. um but that being said it I feel like sometimes I use the insulin as a crutch and I use it as an excuse to eat things that maybe I shouldn't eat. Okay. And yeah, I don't know if that's the mentality I should have or not, but sometimes it's just nice to be able to enjoy a few carbs and not have to think about it because I'm able to take the insulin. And I know that if I, if I really ate super well, I probably wouldn't have to worry about that so much, but at the same time, it's like, do I want to eat really low carb every day for the rest of my life, like every single meal? Well, would it be, well, I would ask you, well, first of all, you brought up, I mean, I have two thoughts here. My first one is um, that people with type 1 diabetes, um, I find sometimes can get so good at using their insulin that they forget that the way they're eating is not healthy. They're just so amazed that they can stop it with insulin. Like, oh, my God, can you believe it? Like, I had a giant cupcake, and I washed it down with a milkshake, and then I had pizza. And look at how flat my line is. I'm so good at using insulin, which is amazing. But you also should be saying to yourself, also, I should not be eating these things. You you know, like, and and especially all together like this. Like, you know, a cupcake once in a while, a milkshake here and there, pizza on Friday. That's all fine. You shouldn't be eating pizza, milkshake, and a cupcake in one afternoon, right? Right. So you get my point is like they get so lost in look how good I am at using insulin. They forget to think about the just normal everyday nutrition of what they're eating. Um, and and you're almost saying the again, like the mirror side of that, which is if I can control my eating with insulin and keep my blood sugar down, then th- that's how the insulin feels like a crutch to you. So you can write off unhealthy 
less healthy eating because you can keep your blood sugar down. Is that how it feels? Am I understanding that? That's exactly how it feels, okay. basically. All right. And, but, and you know that that's not the way to think about it. But you're saying, I would like carbs once in a while, which I don't think is a I, I know either. that. Yeah. I'm... yeah. Hmm. Haley, yeah, are you okay I'm, with this conversation? I'm not. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not like, a dummy. You're not a dummy. I didn't think you were. But 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 so you're you're just looking for, you're looking <laughs> yeah. for a balance of a regular what you consider to be a pretty regular life. And and how do you so I think that's the the focus, right? Is like how do you have a regular life where you're not just like, you know, some Instagram model who hasn't had four carbs a day in 25 years. You're not looking for that life, right? You uh you don't want to be dead when you're 30. You're not looking for that life. You're looking for something in the middle. You're looking for I have a slice of pizza once in a while, or, you know, I, I can have, you know, these other things and I'm maintaining a stable situation. That's your goal, right? Right. Okay. And, you know, I, I know I'll never be one of those super skinny Instagram models or whatever, um, but I would like to lose some weight. I'm still a little bit heavier than I would like to be. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of a goal. And I, I, I'm pretty confident that along with that is going to come a little less insulin resistance, which may mean less insulin or no insulin. Okay. So if you, so am I hearing from you that your overall goal plan is eat a little better, get a little more exercise, try to use less insulin and get the same results. And at the same time, try to understand how to use the insulin. So it benefits you the best. Pretty much. Yeah. Okay. Is that doable? I, I think it's doable. And on the exercise front, I, I kind of struggle with exercise because um, I hate it. <laughs> but no, I, I try to go to the gym at least two or three times a week. And then I'm I'm a pretty big skier. So I in the winter, I'm able to ski usually like at least every other weekend. And I know that's not particularly regular exercise, but it's an intense exercise. And I have actually found that when I'm my blood sugar stays pretty level, which is awesome. While you're um, skiing. But I could definitely do better on the exercise front. Yeah. I mean, listen, I'm I'm no guru, but I would think getting out and going for a walk or, you know, doing some like resistance stuff, even stuff you can get away with in the home, you know, that that kind of just body weight exercise. Like I've I've heard people say that like body weight squats are incredibly difficult. But you're not even holding any weight. You're just doing it, I guess, higher reps with your own weight. I mean, I don't know. I'm not here to explain it to you, obviously. Um, I'm just here to say that, like, thank you for sharing this this kind of overview of what your life's like with type 2. I think it's incredibly honest of you. And I believe that you were really thorough uh, giving us looks into kind of the different pitfalls and, and some of the some of the things that have gone right for you. Is there anything we didn't talk about that you want to talk about? Um, I guess not. I think that pretty much covers it. I mean, it, I, I'm glad we got to talk about kind of be young and be a type two diabetic. Cause you know, like we mentioned at the beginning of this, I tell people I'm diabetic. Oh, what kind? Oh, I'm type two. Oh, no, you're not. You're type one. You're only 24. I'm like, no, no, <laughs> that's, yeah. I, I know the majority of people diagnosed young or type one and the majority of people diagnosed old or type two, but I'm, I'm a weirdo. 
It's, what can I say? Yeah, no, it's good to get it out there that people understand. It's, I feel the same way about this conversation as I one time interviewed a lady, I think, who was diagnosed with type one on like when she was 60. And nobody wanted to believe that either. You, you know, like it's everybody gets kind of locked down and well, this is how it usually goes. So this is must how must be how it has to be. And it's certainly not the case. But I mean, seriously, Haley, like you're you're you I don't think you fully appreciate what you did here today. You did a really good thing. And um, it, it's a real kindness for people listening um, because there are going to be plenty of people who listen to this podcast initially who have type one diabetes are just going to be interested in your story, but they're going to know people with type two and they're going to be able to share this episode with them because um, I think far too many people are living with type two diabetes and don't know the first thing about it. Um, that's one of the problems. I think the second problem is there's tools available to them that they don't even know exist, so they don't look into them. And then I think the third thing is just the honesty of what you just said. Like, I could move around more. I could, you know, I could. I could get more exercise. And I know that would help me. Um, and I, I think that's hard for people to admit out loud. So it's extra encouraging to hear somebody admit it like this very publicly. So I appreciate it. Yeah, and, and I definitely agree about, about people just not knowing. I think a lot of people get diagnosed and they're not really given a whole lot of information and they're stuck to figure it out themselves. Like I'm in a few type two groups on Facebook and all the time, all the time there's posts of people that's like, well, I just got diagnosed. So what can I eat? What can't I eat? Yeah. It's and, weird that that's how, that's I mean, how it feels. It's going to be, a, it, it's going to be a learning process for the rest of our lives. Yeah. No, I know. Unless you're willing to just do something so, one-sided to see how it goes. Do you know what I mean? Like, like if you were, if you were literally willing to not eat a carb for two weeks to see what happens and to see if your body would adjust to not having sugar, because there are people who eat like that. There's, I mean, there's type ones that listen to the show that I know eat very little in the way of carbohydrates. And I think it probably started out for them as about their diabetes, but then just kind of became a lifestyle for them. You know, and, and it's it's not something that burdens mm -hmm. them anymore. I mean, I can tell you that the the less sugar I eat, the less I think about sugar. That's for certain. Um, but it's not that, you know, it's not that easy for everybody. And it's it's not always conducive to how some people live. Like, you know, there's also people who are like, this is exactly what I do. It's super easy. And you're like, yeah, your whole job seems to be this. You, you know what I mean? Like, like you know, like. <laughs> Haley's got to go to work. She's got to get up in the morning and I'm assuming that kind of sucks, but you probably just get up and sit right back down again for your job, right? Oh yeah. Working from home, it's been a little bit of a nice privilege to just wake up at like seven 30 and clock in at eight o'clock in my pajamas and I'm good to go for the day. <laughs> but it doesn't exactly but, get you moving either. Right. And I would love to have a job where I'm able to move around and walk around and stuff like that a little bit more, but I'm in the legal field. I'm a paralegal. We mm -hmm. just sit on the computer pretty much all day and yeah. I, I love my job. I have a great job, but it, it would almost be nice to have a job where I could get up and walk around some too. Right. No, I agree. I, I do. I think people are missing that commuting was exercise to some degree. Like you get up, you hustle in the morning, you run around the house, you run to your car, you drive a little bit, you you know, run from a garage. It's not a lot, but it's it's mo it's movement and it's more movement than people are getting at this point uh who are working from home. Right. Now I hear you. I really do. This is um interesting. I appreciate you doing this. Thank you very much. I uh I I didn't I didn't expect this to go ex I didn't have any expectation for how this would go, but I can tell you that I very much want other type 2s to 
contact me. And I want to keep having these conversations. I think there's something to be unearthed in here that could be valuable for people that's beyond what usually happens, which is, hey, fix your diet, move around a little bit. That's because that's really what they're saying to you. They can say they send you to a nutritionist. You can say whatever you want, but you're being told eat differently and get exercise. And while that might be amazing advice, that's it's just not as easy. It's just easier said than done. You know what I mean? For for a lot of people, like just it absolutely is. You know what I mean? Yeah, it just it doesn't and fit especially in your life. People or, who just people who just lead busy lives, like especially people that like have kids or have a family it's like where do you find time to count carbs and to eat healthy every single meal of every single day like I feel like I'm busy and I don't have kids I don't have a you know I don't have a family of any kind like that and I feel like I'm busy so it it always amazes me how people can juggle all those things and sometimes just adding diabetes to it it's like oh great that's one more thing and you you don't give enough weight sometimes to cultural and geographical implications as well which is just like you said like sweet teas everywhere or this is just how i was raised this is what we drink this is what we this is what we do i'm ingrained in it now and it's not just ingrained physically with the carbs in your body and like sugar holding on to your brain it is that when you think to make something these are the things you think to make because that's what you've seen happen for decades of your life when you were a child as you got older like this is food And there are other people eating different foods that are probably healthier than what I'm eating. I don't even know about them. You know, like, you know what I learned during the pandemic of all weird things? A couple of things. What's that? I decided to teach myself how to smoke barbecue. Like how to, I got a smoker and I taught myself how to smoke barbecue. And I learned that that's much better than any of the other ways that I had been cooking meat my entire life. Right. And then I got bored and I was like, I'm going to figure out how to make a great pizza at home. And I first learned about the dough and the cooking process and all this stuff. And what I ended up learning through that is if you hand make dough for pizza and let it cold ferment for a number of days, it's easier to digest and less impactful on Arden's blood sugar. I never would have figured that out without the pandemic because I wouldn't have had the time to learn to do it and to try and, you know, et cetera, go over and over again. But as much as we talk about like, you know, there's places in the world where pizza means Pizza Hut. Pizza means Domino's. And that is pre-made stuff that has more preservatives in it. And a pizza from a local pizza joint in Philly is not going to have as many preservatives, but it still will have some. But when you get home and really you learn that pizza dough is flour, water, salt, and yeast, and it's nothing else, your body actually does okay with that. it's easier. And so that's a cultural thing because somewhere somebody's been eating handmade pizza their entire life. And somewhere somebody thinks of Domino's or, you know, as pizza. And I want you all to know that those of us on the East coast do not agree that that's pizza. It is not. It's you're eating fast food. (laughs) It's fast food that looks like pizza. You you know what I mean? Right. And so, but if you grew up around it, then right now you're thinking, screw you, man. Domino's is amazing. And, and, and I understand that. So, you know, it's It's so funny Um, here in North Carolina, we get a lot of transplants from the Northeast and on our little local Facebook page, every once in a while, someone will come on here and be like, I'm from New York. Where can I get a good pizza around here? And other people will get on there and go, oh, there's no good pizza around here. 
There's a place in, <laughs> there's a place in Tampa that's owned by a New York pizzeria and they go so far as to ship water in tanker trucks from New York to Florida so they can make better dough. And uh other than oh, that, I don't know funny. where to go. Yeah, I I, I it, it's just but anyway, that's not the point. The point isn't pizza. The point's cultural food differences expectations about what good food means. It's almost like when I ask people about their blood sugars and I'm like, so did you get high? And they go, no. Or they'll say, yeah, I got high. How high did you get? I was high. What does that mean? I realize that when I think of high, I think of over 120. When they think of high, they think of over 300. So we're not having a, a, a balanced conversation because when I say high, I think 120. When they say high, they think 300. Just like when you say to people, do you eat healthy? They go, oh my God, yeah. But what is healthy to them versus what is actually healthy? And, and so you have to have these conversations broken down. My mom, again, the other day, she just texted me. And she goes, hey, beets are healthy, right? My mom likes beets. And I said, I mean, mom, uh-huh. I don't know. I've never eaten a beet in my life. I was like, let me look. So I go online. I find out that a cup of beets has 15 carbs in it. And for a person who's trying not to eat a lot of carbs, 15 carbs as a vegetable side is a lot. And so I told her how many carbs are in it. She goes, oh, I love beets. And I was like, uh-huh. She goes, I'll eat less. And I was like, yeah, mom, like have a half a cup. Have them less frequently. Like, you know, like like try to do that. I'm not telling my mom to never eat beets again. But I gave her a list of 10 vegetables that hardly have any carbs in them. And then, you know, just to realize that my mom at one point thought of beets and those other vegetables as as commiserate, and they weren't. But she thought they were because when she was little, somebody told her, here, eat healthy, have a beat. And and that was it. And then that's your expectation. I think that is a huge part of the of the load that people with type 2 diabetes have to haul is that they just don't know the impact of what they're eating. And they could make different choices that they'd probably still be as happy with. They just don't even know what those choices are sometimes. All right. I talked a lot at the end, Haley. I didn't mean to. I don't know what happened. <laughs> That's okay. No, nah, I mean, it's okay for you, but people listening are like, let Haley talk. Um, <laughs> seriously, anything you want to say that's left? Because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say goodbye, and I don't want to miss anything, because I think you've had a lot of good advice today. Yeah, um, I, I think that pretty much covers uh, a day in the life of Haley. <laughs> Do people in North Carolina <laughs> say you have the sugars? Is that colloquial there? Well, they say... Well, when they when they say they're checking their blood sugar, they'll say like or like my sugars are high my or my sugars are good or something like that. And I always think that's a little bit funny. Yeah, I have the sugars is like my favorite sentence. I think it's like so uh, like adorably colloquial to where it gets used. Um, but Haley, I think you're on your way to something. So you've only been at this in a better way for yourself for the last year. Do you see constant improvement? Um. I don't know. It's kind of hard to say because in the grand scheme of things, a year is kind of short term. I agree. Um, but I, I do keep having better and better goals for myself. Like uh, a year ago, my A1C was 10.1. Haley, you um, broke up. It was Six 10 months point... ago, it was 8.1. Three months ago, it was six. Oh, no. Haley, oh, no. Can you hear me? You broke up again. So do it again for me. 10 point what? How long ago? Oh, sorry. A year ago, my A1C was 10.1. Right. And uh, six months ago, it was 8.1. And three months ago, it was 6.9. And then in December, it was 6.6. So, Haley, then the answer to my question is yes, things are getting better. So, 
Good for you. I I think so, and I and I want to continue to see them get better because, you know, I I don't want to. Well, I don't want to get my legs cut off because then I can't ski anymore. <laughs> I don't want to go blind because well, I guess then I can't ski anymore. Well, listen, those long term health effects are real, but I think that a more realistic way to think about it is day to day health, like how you feel today. Are you being like the best you today can be? And if you are, then those long-term scary ideas are never going to come to fruition. You know what I mean? So I wouldn't, if this happened to me, I would try hard not to live like I'm trying to avoid something terrible happening to me 30 years from now. I would think about just doing the best I can today. And I think that takes care of 30 years from now, but you're doing amazingly well. If this podcast has had anything to do with how well you're doing, I am genuinely happy for you. Um, and, uh, I hope you keep listening. Cause I think there's more in there about using insulin and I'd love to check back in with you a year from now and see how it's going. Oh yeah, of course. Cool. Oh, thank you. All right. Well, um, uh, good luck avoiding the Corona and I will, uh, <laughs> and, uh, hold on one second. First, I'm going to thank Haley. Thank you so much, Haley. Very cool conversation. I appreciate you coming on. Second, I'm going to tell you, if you have the type 2 diabetes and you'd like to come on the show and chit-chat about it, Scott would be interested in talking to you. I am Scott. Send me an email. Thanks also to Dexcom, makers of the G6 Continuous Glucose Monitor. Find out more at Dexcom.com forward slash juicebox. And Australia? Australia, you want that Omnipod? Omnipod.com forward slash juice box AU. The rest of you want it? Omnipod.com forward slash juice box. Find out more about the Omnipod and see if you're eligible for a free 30 day trial of the Omnipod Dash. Thank you so much for listening to the Juice Box podcast and for sharing it with someone else. What else? Anything else? Oh, I got some good reviews recently. Thank you very much for those. Those were excellent. And, uh, oh yeah, the show just had its most popular month ever. What, what, what? That's right. August of 2021 was the most popular, most popular, most downloaded, most listened to month in the history of the podcast, beating the month before, which was the most popular, you see what I'm saying? We growing, 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 growing because of you, because you're sharing, because you're listening, because you're subscribing in a podcast app. Thank you very much. Being really serious, the summer is a time where most podcasters go, oh, I don't put out as many episodes, you know, because nobody listens in the summertime. Mm, yeah. Well, guess what? Best month ever. Just beat the previous best month ever. And I bet you September, looking good to be the best month ever. Because of you, thank you so much. No joking. Very, very serious. You guys make the show. Thank you again. I'll talk to you soon.